Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Truth That Heals podcast, and today I'm with a special guest, Peter Young. Peter Young, welcome to the show. Ryan, thanks for having me on. Now, for those who don't know who Peter is, uh, he is the author of this book, Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger. It is a book which I want to strongly recommend. If you're watching it on YouTube, Peter was just uh, showing us a cover of the book. And I'm going to be leaving links to this book. Uh, because when I was reading it, uh, I'm telling this to Peter and to the audience, I had to stop several times because as a cult member myself from another group, it helped me to see that I'm not alone in these experiences. And also that, you know, when we leave, it can be very healing to read material from other survivors, including that of Peter. So please, those in the audience, check out Peter's book. Now, Peter, before we get started, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks. Yeah. Um, there's been some challenges this summer for sure, but uh, other than that, I'm doing great. Well, I'm happy to have you on the show. Thank you for joining. And to get started, uh, can you share a little bit about the book? And then we'll start talking about the rest of your story. Sure. So I really wrote the memoir, Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger, mostly during COVID. You know, when people were at home, you know, watching, you know, YouTube and binging on movies, I was writing four or five hours a day. And it started out because uh, my lawyers had asked, you know, to kind of give a rundown of, you know, the marriage and the kids were born and all that. So one page became five, became 10, then became, you know, a book. And I released it earlier this year in March of 2023. And uh, it was incredibly cathartic and therapeutic writing it, being able to fit all the puzzle pieces together of this, you know, implosion of my life and what I learned from it, and then being able to share it with other people feels good. Right. And this book is, like, as you said, it's a memoir. Uh, for those who haven't read it yet, uh, where does it take place? Uh, when does it begin in your life story? Well, as I often say, nobody, you know, knowingly joins a cult, and I was the same way. So I really married in. So the story for me starts in 1996, when I met my future wife, Paige, which is right about the time she had that really bizarre, but yet crucial life altering for her dream, which is where the title of the book comes from. So we were living in Idaho, Pocatello, Idaho. We eventually got married, lived in Idaho, and then we lived in Montana, where I live now. So you know, the story really takes place 96 to, you know, up until about a year or two ago. So you say that you were married in. So your upbringing, would you say that it was a healthy Christian upbringing? Very much so. So I was born and raised in Ridgewood, New Jersey, which is just outside of New York City. Wonderful parents who are still alive in their late 80s. Grew up in a uh, probably a non-denominational church. Kind of looked Presbyterian, but it was non-denominational. Youngest of five boys. Uh, we're certainly not perfect. We've all got our flaws, but that's, of course, why we need a Savior. But, you know, it was, it was a Christian home. And... Um, was taught to love the Lord. And so had what I would consider, I hate to use the word normal, but let's say normal or healthy upbringing. And when you met the uh, future love of your life, uh, was it immediately that she introduced you to this 
uh, family guru side of her story or was that a slower development? Well, uh, it's a fascinating story, Ryan. So I was uh, 28 at the time, single. I was uh, a sports broadcaster in Pocatello, Idaho. So I was doing the six and 10 sports. I was a big fish in a small pond, right? (laughs) And um, I had not yet met the love of my life. And I was going to a little church in Pocatello, which is is dominated by Mormons. I'm not, nor was she. So it was this little church, and the pastor decided to start a singles Bible study. So, I mean, come on, I was going to it for the same reason everybody goes to singles Bible study, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I like the pastor, but I was going there to find a wife. And uh, for the first two weeks there, oh boy, there were no good options. And then the third week, and I had seen Paige, my future wife, I had seen her around town. Pocatello is not that big a town, maybe 50,000 people. And, you know, six foot tall, long blonde hair, you couldn't miss her. I'd never met her, but I'd seen her around town. She was the blonde girl. So then when I'm walking into the you know the room where the singles Bible study is, I see her walking in and I just, wow, couldn't believe it. There she is. And we met after the singles Bible study. But before that, I had been working out with a buddy at a local gym and I was describing this blonde girl. I don't even know her name. And I'm talking about her and he says, oh, I know who that is. You know, it's Paige and he, he knew her sister. And, and then he said, but just be careful because they have a really weird family guru. And so before I'd ever even met Paige, I had heard about the mysterious Uncle Robert, who was our cult leader, uh, when this friend of mine kind of warned me about the weird family guru. So then, you know, to more specifically answer your question, I knew about the family guru. I met Paige at the Singles Bible Study. Uh, Then all I could think about was her for the next week. The next week, she brought a guy with her to the singles Bible study. I mean, just stick a knife in my heart and twist, right? Oh, but it turned out they weren't really dating. And uh, we had a good talk afterwards. And then a few days later, we met, went on our first date. We went and worked out together. We lifted weights. And then I took her to dinner at this cute little Italian restaurant. And she brought up Uncle Robert. And I remember I didn't say anything about what my buddy had told me about the weird family guru. But in the back of my mind, I thought this must be him. So on our first date, yeah, she brought him up. So it sounds like when you first laid eyes on Paige, would you say that for you, it was a love at first sight? It was, I know it's kind of, you know, now at my age, you know, 55, I've been a you know, husband and father of five kids. Love at first sight is, is a kind of a cute saying, but not 100% accurate. But yes, in the vernacular of that saying, you bet. You know, she was she was gorgeous. I asked that because uh, now I want to ask with the cult leader, this family guru, would you say that it was almost a love at first sight with him as well? Because sometimes a cult leader can be so charismatic that people fall for it head over heels right away. Was that also the case with the cult leader? No, but I'll tell you why. So the cult leader, we called him Uncle Robert, was not related to anybody in Paige's family or certainly my family. Um, His name is Robert Booty. He got to know Paige's parents at a small seminary in Fresno, California, which I think back then was, you know, Mennonite Brethren, I believe. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is now. And uh, Robert Booty kind of glommed on to Jack, uh, Paige's father, and really kind of instigated a very parasitic one-sided relationship. And so he was always around the family and assumed this position of authority almost immediately in Paige's parents' lives. 
So was always authority in Paige's life. So Uncle Robert met Jack and the Clausens, you know, the Clausen family where Paige was born into before Paige was born. So growing up, Uncle Robert was always the authority on everything. She knows no other life. So this Uncle Robert isn't even an uncle or a family member at all. No, you know, I'm six foot five and I've got, you know, Scottish English looks, uh, Paige and her family, typical Scandinavian, very tall. She's six foot, blonde, blue eyed. Robert Booty was born and raised in Syria. He's short, olive complexion, bald, jet black hair with a belly. So he, <laughs> he's not related and doesn't look like any of us. So as I was reading your story, um, what I found about this family guru was that it sounds like he never worked. He never did anything on his own, but he held so much authority over uh, the family of your wife. Uh, did he take, did he take his time in having control over your life or was it a slow process? Can you kind of share about that development? You know, good question. It's hard to say if he went slow or if I just didn't allow him to take control quicker. So we got married in 97. And I, before I married Paige, I needed to meet him because she talked about him all the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we met and we're married within nine months, but about like six months in, I met him at her brother's wedding. And I thought he's kind of odd, quirky, gregarious, interesting, but relatively harmless, which of course I was very wrong. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. So, for the first few years of our marriage, for me, he didn't play a huge role. He was always a huge role in Paige's life. At the time, I didn't realize it. I know now. And she would talk to him on the phone quite a bit because he lived in Southern California and we lived in Idaho. So she would talk to him on the phone all the time or email him. But several years in, his role continued to expand in, in our lives and in, in my marriage, then with being a father with our kids. So um, it was a slow, gradual process for me. But I'm not so sure that that was the modus operandi of Uncle Robert. I think if he could have assumed control quicker, he would have done it. And what were some signs that you can see now that he was trying to manipulate your relationship with Paige and with everyone else now that you can look back? Well, there's a lot of little signs with control. I remember meeting Paige's parents for the first time. So going back to 1996, you know, we've been dating about a month and I went up to her parents' house for Thanksgiving and I went down the hallway to use the toilet. And as a guy, I stood up to pee. And when I opened the door, my future father-in-law standing right there, really close. And he says to me, in our household, the men need to sit to 
P. And then he said something that, you know, I heard many times over the years, Uncle Robert taught us that. Uncle Robert taught me that because apparently sitting to pee you then would lead to less splashing in a cleaner toilet. And I thought, wow, that's really weird. I've never heard of that. <laughs> but that was the first time I'd heard, you know, Uncle Robert taught us that. So over the years, Uncle Robert taught Paige's parents a lot of things, then Paige, then eventually me. So I realized that, you know, when, when all important decisions, you know, semi-important or really important decisions, you know, would have to be run by him. Or if something was going on in Paige's life, you know, my wife, and it was heavy on her heart or mind. I often found out after Uncle Robert, you know, she would talk to Uncle Robert first. So I knew at that point, you know, that, wow, there's a level of control here that I'm really not comfortable with. I always knew he was a big role in her life. But, you know, a few years in, it became really clear that I'm not comfortable with this and continue to be uncomfortable with it for many years. So you didn't see it at the beginning stages of your relationship with Paige? No. When I first started dating her, okay, so let me backtrack. Like, you know, two weeks in, I was 90% sure I want to marry her. But I needed to meet her father and this Uncle Robert because she talked about them both all the time. So I met the father like a month later, you know, weird, odd, but seemingly like a nice guy. I meant well. And then I met Uncle Robert eventually. So I knew that he was a big deal in her life. But I was, I guess, blinded by love. I adored this woman and wanted to marry her. And I probably overlooked things that I should not have overlooked. But then when we were first married, you know, we lived a long way away. We're in Idaho. He's in Southern California. We didn't see him that much. It was easy for me to have him out of sight, out of mind with my marriage and my family. Uh, but now hindsight 2020, I realize that he was he was playing a much larger role behind the scenes than I knew. So we're seeing from, you know, from the book and from hearing your story, how it really took a, a quite a while for you to start seeing all these different puzzle pieces. Uh, now I'm kind of wondering how was his reaction or the family's reaction when someone would go against his wishes? Because you already mentioned how they would say, but Uncle Robert says, yep. so So, what was it like if someone were to go against him? Well, it wasn't fun, I can tell you that much, because I was on the receiving end of his vitriol a number of times. It would usually start with questions. So one of my first seminal moments of awareness to kind of the dark side of following Uncle Robert was about a year after 9-11. And we were at uh, Paige's parents' house in Idaho, and he would come up for visits, and we would call them conferences, where we would sit and listen to him talk for hours. And um, somehow 9-11 came up. And he had said that 80,000 people died on that day. And I thought, that's not the number I had heard. And then he started to go into how FDR, President Roosevelt, was a Jew, and Truman was a Jew. And he said it with such anger. And that was my first exposure to his raving anti-Semitism where part of his theology was really based on the, uh, you know, the battle or let's say the conflict between Jacob and Esau that goes back to Genesis. And so he felt that uh, Esau becomes Edom, which is modern Jewry, and Jacob uh, becomes modern Christendom. And so that every war, recession, depression, you know, plane crash, you name it, is a Jewish conspiracy to rule the world. And I remember thinking, wow, this is really bizarre. And I told Paige that night, I said, here's what he said. And I don't think we should have anything to do with this guy. 
I'm really concerned. And she had a concerned look on her face, but didn't say anything. We kind of left it and I didn't follow up and I should have. Because everything that he said, Paige and her parents believed hook, line and sinker, never ask questions. So then I would ask questions about the Jews. Well, what do you mean? I'm like, come on, like well, 2000 years of intermarrying, really? I mean, what are you talking about? Where's the proof? And I would ask these questions over and over again to the point where he'd get very angry. And his answers were less answers and more an, an attack on my limited intellect because I just didn't get it. Because you're not supposed to ask questions of the cult leader. So before, Ryan, you get to the point of, let's say, disobeying the cult leader, because that's what it would be, rather than disagreeing, you'd be disobeying, right? Because you've got to obey. Before you even get there, you're asking questions. And then it's too many questions. I barely even got to the level of disobeying before I was really in the doghouse just because I asked too many questions. Okay, so we're really seeing how this guy is, I guess you can say, creeping into your life, you know, through through uh, your spouse's family. Uh, now he's not allowing you to question. It sounds like he's making you feel like an idiot, which many cult leaders enjoy doing. Um, but you brought something up, which <laughs> I also kind of find to be a little bit of a red flag. Um, you know, the anti-Semitism and the uh, conspiracies. Um, was there at ever a point a sense of paranoia around Uncle Rob that uh, something is going to happen in this world or an apocalypse? How was that viewed with conspiracies? Sure. So to me, one of the hallmarks of cults is the control of the members, right? And they control their members or their believers or their followers, whatever you want to call them, through mostly uh, isolation, um, control, uh, and paranoia and fear. Okay, so isolating—that's pretty obvious. You know, you kind of cut off all relationships and and long-term friendships and family members. But the paranoia was that only Uncle Robert was brilliant enough to realize that there's this worldwide Jewish conspiracy and everybody else would just call it anti-Semitism and would be angry at us and would consider Uncle Robert evil and a threat. So since he is our guru, our leader, and we believe everything he says, he's now in danger. Well, if he's in danger, we're in danger. So we got to circle the wagons, protect him, be careful what we share with other people because then we could be in danger. Don't say certain words on a cell phone. Don't say Jew and Gentile on the cell phone because of course Jews are listening in. Be careful what you throw out. You got to shred your trash. I also caution people that, you know, again, cults come in all shapes and sizes. So just because you believe in conspiracy theories, which a lot of them come true, just because you are, let's say, a prepper, just because you are a fan of Donald Trump, whatever it is, doesn't mean you're in a cult or that necessarily would lead to a cult. It's more what the cult leaders do with whatever ammunition they've been given, right? You could take something completely benign and put that belief and some people into the manipulation of a cult leader, and now it becomes bad, and now it becomes a cult. And as this was happening, as he was introducing paranoia and control, would you say that it became an obstacle in your faith journey with Christianity? Yeah. So I got the feeling for several years that Paige really doubted my faith. Now, she also you know, brought it up 
in a very blunt manner, even before we got engaged. The title of the book, Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger, you know, ties into this fascinating dream that Paige had that I believe the Lord gave her to warn her of booty, that he was not the person she thought he was, that he was a fraud and was going to destroy her life. She told Uncle Robert about the dream. He wrote this long letter back and was able to twist and manipulate the dream so that he convinced Paige that she was not a Christian, she was not saved, and that the tall, the tiger in the dream, you know, like the, the evil of the dream, was Paige's eagle, the old man that Paul says we we get rid of when we become saved, right? So mm -hmm. Uncle Robert convinced Paige was the tiger, so convinced her she wasn't saved. And then he came to the rescue and quote unquote saved her. So after that happened, then Paige doubted my faith. And, you know, I don't think she doubted enough. Obviously, she didn't doubt enough because we got married. But I think in the back of her mind, it was always a question <clears throat> as to whether or not I really was truly saved. And I knew it a couple of years in. I could kind of tell little hints here or there. And then I could also tell if Paige doubted, so did Uncle Robert. And there would be just a feeling I would have that, you know, unless you really in our cult were brought to a saving grace in Jesus Christ by Uncle Robert, well, then you weren't saved. Now, looking back, I realize it was <laughs> a saving grace in the cult of Uncle Robert. It was not the other way around. It was a fraudulent faith in Robert. My faith was genuine. But yeah, I was eventually beaten down and eroded to where I did doubt my faith. And during that period, did you ever question whether you were a true Christian? Because you, I think you mentioned that Paige wasn't convinced. Did that also bother you? Oh, it, it was um, it was horrible. The fact that, you know, you love this woman. You know, at the time, we had been married about 17 years. And we would have these conferences once or twice a year, just a glorified description of sitting around in the living room, listening to Uncle Robert drone on and on for hours. But at the 2015 conference in June, we all met up there. We were all going to share our testimonies. And the testimony is how you became a follower of Jesus Christ, what the Lord has done for you. And, and I knew they doubted mine. And all of the adults there at that conference, every single one of them, had a testimony that they believed in Christ at a certain age, a certain time in their life, that was later thrown out and discarded by Uncle Robert convincing that person they weren't saved. So now, here you go, in this little conference— all the adults have been saved, quote unquote, by Uncle Robert, but me. So here I am trying to give my testimony, and I know they don't, they're not buying it. So I sprinkled in what I thought they would want to hear, you know, trying to praise Uncle Robert. Now, Paige didn't buy it, nor did Uncle Robert. So then I knew that she doubted my faith, and I was so tired of it. I was so tired of the fight and the battle of trying to convince this woman that I adored and loved and revered that I truly was saved. And I wanted a strong marriage. I wanted a strong relationship. And at that point, it wasn't. I knew she didn't honor me. I knew she, she didn't really love me. I knew she didn't really adore me like she did Uncle Robert. And so at that moment, when I finally just came and said, oh, you must be right. I must not be a Christian. It was more a last ditch effort to try and uh, have a great marriage and salvage my marriage. Because then, oh, she believed it. Oh, there you go. Peter finally admitted it. He finally confessed. He's been lying all these years. See, I told you. And of course, her parents and Uncle Robert, oh, yeah, we knew it all along. Well, by the end of that day, I'm like, really? You're telling me I was not a Christian all these years? I was late 40s at the time. And it instantly doubted it, doubted whether or not I really needed this moment.
Oh, Uncle Robert and Paige, no, 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 you were a fraud and a liar. You needed that. You were not saved. You were, you thought you were saved, which of course, Ryan, as you know, all of this is completely unbiblical. I mean, to try and, to try and take the word of God and twist it around to justify what happened to me is absurd. But it did. It happened. They, they beat me down until I finally thought, well, maybe I must not be. Maybe I was missing something all these years is what I thought. So I see how they they really, well, I don't want to say they, but particularly Booty was working hard to get in your head, play with your emotions. Uh, he already had control over your wife and, and that side of the family. But did he also have a control or manipulation over the rest of your family, over your siblings, your children, uh, uncles? So just my kids. So I'm the youngest of five boys, uh, as I said earlier. So all of my brothers, you know, they're married. They've got kids. So I've got lots of nieces and nephews, and they're all around the country, but mostly on the coast, east coast and west coast. And again, we lived in Idaho and Montana. So we didn't see them much. They all knew about Uncle Robert. You know, who's this Uncle George or Uncle Bill guy? You know, like they didn't know much about him on purpose because we figured, well, they wouldn't get it. They wouldn't understand his brilliance, which was really reality would have been, no, they would have seen right through his act. But we didn't share much about him. So they knew very little about this. It would have just been Paige and I and then my children. Now, again, many of them were really young uh, during these conferences, so they didn't know what was going on. They, they probably thought this guy was kind of weird. But all the adults in my kids' lives revered this guy. So, of course, they're not going to say anything bad about him. They're not going to question him. They're going to uh, toe the line, right? Get in line and obey. Now, you know, my two oldest sons are in their 20s. I don't think they really agree with Booty. But when my life imploded, when my wife left me and everything kind of you know, hit the fan, they all believed him and her. And I was the devil. Yeah, he he was able to convince them that I was in the wrong. I was a liar and a fraud and a sorcerer and a Satan and a devil, slanderer and a snake, et cetera. And that he was Grandpa Bob or Uncle Robert or dad, not me. So this question, when you have your family, when you have this person whom you're supposed to trust, Booty, uh, calling you a demon, calling you the enemy. How do you get up from that? Because that's that's very painful, and I'm I'm sure that many in the audience who are cult survivors also have experienced this, and may be wondering, how do I get up from this? Uh, what can what advice can you give for that? So when she left me, it was January of 2017, and I was devastated, did not want the divorce, loved her, tried for years, actually, to salvage the marriage, did not want it to end, knew it was going to take a lot of work, but figured, no, we, we can we can do this. Uh, she was adamant she wanted to leave. She hated me. Again, she called me all these horrible names, told the children that I was all these horrible things, and so they believed it. You know, Dad, if I was a, I was a devil, I'd want someone to tell me too. You know, that was one of the kids told me. <laughs> so they believed I was the devil. Um, but I was never suicidal, never gave up on life, came close, was really crushed. And at the time, what really made that moment, that season in my life so horrendous was that I had really kind of cut myself off. So I didn't tell my family that my wife had left me and taken most of the kids for four months. And no one in Montana where I live knew, nobody knew, which was on purpose because I was told by Paige not to tell anybody. And of course I was you know, terrified and intimidated of her and Robert at the time. So I listened. 
But then I finally, as I was losing access to my three youngest kids and saw what was happening, like, oh, this is not good. Uh, still blame myself for everything. Finally reached out to my family, told them. I called them because they, they were all far away. They were all stunned. They had no idea. And then a couple months later, I finally started to tell people in Montana. So it was, I call the three Fs. It was my family, my friends, and then my faith, really, that rescued me. I never turned my back on my faith. I falsely thought that I must have been missing something and wasn't saved. I now know that's not true. It was a wicked lie from the pit of hell coming through the mess of the robber booty. And uh, the Lord opened my eyes and ears. I mean, I, I know it kind of sounds a little cliche, but that's literally, I believe, what happened. James chapter one, it says, that if you lack wisdom, ask. I'm paraphrasing, God will give it to you, but don't doubt. Well, I asked, I believed, and he did. He gave me that wisdom. He opened my eyes and ears to the truth. And I was only, Ryan, brainwashed, if you want to call it. And I think it's the best word to use for, let's say, two and a half years, three years, maybe. And it still took a year. It took about a year to really be on my feet and say, yep, that's wrong. Uncle Robert was wrong. He's now Robert Booty. He has no authority in my life. And I need to fight for my kids. And that took a year. And so when your fat, when your when your wife Paige, when she left and, you know, vilified you to the children um how were you able to reconstruct your relationship with your kids and you know even with your own family because you also mentioned that they had no idea that this was a uh, go that all these things were happening so two two part question how were you able to reconstruct your relationship with your children and how were you able to reconnect with your family? Well, let's take the family first. You know, I would still see them. We would get together for Christmas or maybe for a summer vacation. And so I always had good relationships with them. Maybe not all that close because we lived far apart, but you know, there was no shunning uh, like that, that there was in the Clawson family over Uncle Robert. You were either with him or against him. So there was none of that. Uh, they immediately, you know, embraced me and helped me do whatever they could. You know, I had two brothers that flew out to spend time with me in Montana. My father flew out for a brief time to be with me during the hard moments. Two of my brothers, I would wake up every morning if I could sleep at all and just terrified of the day, uh, just a wreck. I would talk to them on the phone. They would be there for me. So their love for me was instant and unconditional and then I would share with them bit by bit, kind of peeling back the onion of some of the theology and ideology of Robert Booty. One of them would be that he thinks that casinos are the true churches in America. And that, like you said earlier, he didn't really ever have a job. I never saw the guy work. And he would also call casinos the office because he feels like anybody, regardless of race, gender, creed, or your bank account or success in life could go into a casino and be blessed by the Lord. Okay, but I see people worshiping money in a casino, not the Lord, right? So it's really bizarre. And I would slowly but surely tell my family this, this stuff. And they'd be like, what? Really? And I remember thinking, I never told you this. Like, I kept this secret for years. Like, you never knew this. And they would say, no, we didn't know this. And it was like, wow, I really had isolated myself and kept all the secrets. So, so that's an, the, an easy answer for that. They were right there for me immediately. With the kids, it was a more complicated and longer journey. The two oldest stayed with me. Paige took the three youngest with her back to Idaho. Eventually, after about a year, the two oldest, you know, had almost stopped talking to me. They still believe their mom 100%. 
they moved out, wouldn't tell me where they went. It was pretty bad. They said a lot of bad things. And it came, again, it came from Uncle Robert, then through their mom and ran into them. I mean, they were just computer virus in, computer virus out. I don't blame them one bit. Then we got the courts involved. Again, I never wanted the divorce, but everybody saw what was going on and everybody was alarmed what was happening with the kids. And so we got a guardian ad litem and they were saying, boy, the parental alienation is the worst we've ever seen. So parental alienation is in a high conflict divorce where one parent starts bad mouthing the other so that the kids will hate that other parent. And it's child abuse. And the guardian ad litem, my attorney and a family counselor all said mine was the worst case they'd ever seen in a combined 60 years of practice. So in the spring of 2018, the guardian ad litem finished her inquiry, issued a 50-page jaw-dropping report, and the court sent the kids back to me, the three youngest. And so it took, you know, a couple of weeks, a couple of months for the kids to realize, oh, geez, dad's not the devil. <laughs> He's just dad. And um, they still love their mom as they should. I never badmouthed their mom. I tried very hard to be as positive as I could, but was very clear about Robert Booty and his wicked influence and the cult and how awful that was. And it took time, but um, my relationship with those three children is is great. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's it's been, we've recovered. And I'm glad you're able to share that because there are so many out there who feel, at, at least in my case, kind of afraid to uh, reconnect with people and make those steps. But hearing someone else who's gone through that kind of brings, I hope, uh, some enlightenment that this is possible. And um, to kind of start wrapping things up, I wanted to now ask, what was the healing part of writing this book uh, that you've, you know, so wonderfully written? You know, when I was writing it again, it was during COVID. So I had had all day to work on it. It was like, I couldn't move my fingers fast enough on the keyboard to type what was just pouring out of me, right? Like I describe it like, you know, a coffee cup that's filled to the rim and just tip it a little bit. And it's going to pour out. That's what it was like. The emotions, the thoughts, the feelings, the, um, the ability to look back. Hindsight's not always 2020, but there's the potential for it. And the Lord gave me that wisdom. And so it felt great. It was very healing, but I sat on it for about two years. It wasn't until last year that I decided, you know, I need to get this out there because unfortunately the threat is still there. Paige still denies the parental alienation, the cult. She thinks I'm making all of this up. And so when the kids leave at 18, you know, when they're no longer under a, a parenting plan, that threat of those kids still being sucked back into that mindset, that anger, hatred is still there, unfortunately which is awful. Um, and hopefully that will one day change, but right now it, it's still there. So I wanted this book to be there for the kids to be able to read it, all of them to see the truth. And I want other people like you and the listeners to be able to pick this book up, read it, not only have it be a cautionary tale, but also have it to be, it's an intense story and it's an intense read, but to give you encouragement um, that, you know, no matter how bad we screw up our lives, <laughs> the Lord's still there. He still loves us. And he can take any mess we create and turn it into good. Well, thank you so much, Peter. Uh, where can people find your book? Well, it's on Amazon. So you just go to Amazon and, and look up either me or Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger. You can also go to my website. It's authorpeteryoung.com. 
There's a link to, again, to buy the book on Amazon, but there's also a link to several videos on my YouTube page. Um, I've you know put down in video form some of these stories, some other stories. I love doing book reviews as well. So you can find out a lot about me uh, at those two sites. Oh, thank you, yeah. Peter, for having the courage to keep your faith, to not allow uh, booty to destroy your faith. You- Uh, still going forward and writing the book. Thank you so much. And thank you for being a guest on this podcast. Yeah, Ryan, thanks for having me. Thanks for reading the book and I appreciate it very much.